You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Spotify. Nope, just kidding. Twitter Spaces call-in show here on the Pride of Detroit podcast feed. We are live on Twitter Spaces uh, every Saturday-ish morning-ish. Uh, we're going to try to do these where we take your calls live here on the Twitter Spaces app. Uh, we also take questions uh, on on Twitter. If you don't want to be part of the show, hashtag SPOD. If you want to send in your questions, my name, by the way, is Jeremy Reisman. I am the producer at Pride Detroit. Uh, you can find me at Detroit Online or at Pride of Detroit. Um, with me, as always, to co-host these uh, new Twitter Spaces. Uh, let's go first to the managing editor of Pride of Detroit, the one they call the machine, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt is here. What's up, guy? I, I like that you didn't just, like, start over. Like, uh, you you made nope. a mistake a second and a half in, <laughs> and you could have just been like, let's start over. It's only a second no. and a half, but no. You're the- willing to move forward with, uh, you know <laughs> – <laughs> with the podcast, even though it's just you know, it's it's it's, it's awesome. I, I love the humbleness. That's that's it, what it is. Listen, I'm all about real. This is like people say social media is fake. Not this one. This is <laughs> this is pure uncut pride of Detroit. Uh, and to help us make sure our doses are legit here, uh, he is the senior editor of Pride of Detroit. He is at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews, how's it going, bud? So great to be back on uh, spot uh, Twitter Spaces, the Twitter Spaces. Yeah, well done. Yeah, very very good. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. We're we're back to we're back to back in the swing of things. Yeah, you know? back in our normal ish uh, time slot here, and feeling a little bit more comfortable maybe in our in our home here on Twitter Spaces. But as I said, this is the show where we take live calls. Uh, so let's tarry no further and get to our first caller. Uh, Maxwell is on the line. Let's add him to the show. Maxwell, are you there? Oh, heard you for a second yeah, there. I'm on. There we go. How's it going, man? Good. How are you guys? Good, good. All right. So uh, my question for today, as we've gotten kind of further into the offseason, is there any matchups uh, looking at the schedule more that you're a little more sneaky worried? Obviously, the Chiefs are ones that were all kind of worried about, but are there any sneaky worried matchups you're looking at for this season? Yeah. Uh, good question. I, I feel like we, I, I personally haven't really revisited the schedule in, in a little bit. So this is a good opportunity to look back and maybe, maybe there were some late roster moves that, that have changed the outlook. Maybe this is, maybe you just have a little bit more knowledge of these teams. Um, I'm going to throw it to you first, Ryan. Is there, is there a matchup on the line schedule? that you're looking at and be like, you know what? I kind of passed that off as an easy dub. The more I think about it, maybe it's not going to be that easy. Yeah, I think there's two that maybe stand out. If we're talking about ones that might be like sneaky matchups that uh, as Maxwell you know, brought up might you know creep up on us. Um, 
I, I'm going to say one is going to be the Carolina game. I, I feel like I'm higher on Carolina than a lot of people are. I know they have the, the rookie quarterback, but I just think that Frank Wright and the, and the staff that he's put together, uh, there, there's been a lot of jokes about them kind of becoming like, uh, you know, the Carolina Lions, so to speak, in terms of hiring, you know, uh, ex-players that are that are not too far away from their playing days and um you know they grab dj shark adam thielen they have some veteran receivers that you know if they're healthy their offense could be pretty good and you know the carolina game is kind of like stuck in our craw from from last season as well too so i I think that maybe carolina is a game that um people are kind of overlooking just because yeah the lions are at home they're favored but um, that could be a sneaky game. Um, and, and the other one I was going to toss out, uh, and you guys are free to jump in, but maybe the Broncos game, you know, just the Sean Payton effect. Maybe they get things back on track. I think a lot of people kind of have, you know, written the, the Denver Broncos off as being, you know, uh, a product of a, you know, an aging veteran quarterback in Russell Wilson who maybe doesn't have it outside of Seattle, but if if there's anybody who can fix them, it would, it would be Sean Payton, right? I, I think along those like kind of same lines, like if you're talking about experience or like you know uh, teams that are are familiar with the coaching staff, like the Saints game, I think comes up too. Not just Sean Payton being in Denver, but like his old stomping grounds in, in New Orleans. Like I'm not sure how that division is going to shake out with the Saints and the Falcons and, and, and the Carolina, right? And so like. If the Saints end up being like near the top of that division and, and they get some momentum, like it's it's uh they could be a, a tough game a tougher game, I think, than we are anticipating at that point in the season. Because you're talking about coming off of uh the Packers and you got the Bears the following week. And so uh having a game in New Orleans uh, in week 13, uh, that's, that feels like a game that could sneak up on them. I mean, I, I think there's just so many layers on the Lions that like they're going to want to prove themselves, like Dan Campbell and, and Glenn Anzalone, even Gardner Johnson, right? But uh, that game is the one that kind of stands out to me as a, as a sneaky one that I wrote off as a, as a win that could end up maybe not being. That's the Jamal Williams revenge yep, game too, yep, though. Yep. The, the disrespected Jamal Williams. Here's, I, I actually like both of those last two answers from you guys, the Saints and the Broncos, and it's not so much the team as it is. And, and, and something that I think goes under-talked about with the schedule because it's not, it's not always who you play but when you play them, right? And so you talk about the Broncos. Playing them in the first month of the season, I think that would have been a huge advantage, right? You're playing under a new head coach, new system. It's going to take a while for them to get their feet wet. Um, but now you're playing them in mid-December, they might have, you know, things figured out by then. Maybe Russell Wilson has his feet under him by then. Um, same thing with the Saints, and, and maybe they're not quite as much of a rebuild as, as or I guess, one-year shift than, than the Broncos are, but they still haven't figured out a lot on offense, I think, um, and, and defensively, obviously, as well. So I, I think those late teams where they might not look that good on paper, and, and you could even, like, I, I know you guys aren't going to like this, but even the Chicago Bears, I think the later you get the Chicago Bears in the season, the more dangerous I think they might be. Um, obviously, they still have a long ways to go. Obviously, Justin Fields has a lot to prove, but the more games he has under his belt, I think there's a good chance he improves and gets better. And so I, I might throw the Bears in there uh, as well. But I think 
you know, I'm, I'm looking like, I, I still think people undervalue the Seahawks a little bit, but I think that's starting to change. So I, I don't know the, the more I look at the beginning of that schedule, it's just like, that is not as friendly as I'd like to be for a team. That's really looking to, you know, buck the trend of, of slow starts going chiefs, Seahawks, a Falcons team that could win that division. Uh, and then the Packers on the road, like that's, that's a rough go of it. Like if they, if they come out two and two to start the season, I'm probably pretty happy with that. Yeah. I mean, it's not as easy as it seems. Right. And, and I think maybe we can all agree that the one NFC South team that we're, we're not that concerned about are, are the, the Buccaneers, even if they are wearing creamsicles. <laughs> I think that's probably fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm with you. I mean, like that, that's why I think, you know, if, if the lions, if, if they, if they find a way to start the season, which, you know, the, the, that's maybe their biggest hurdle that individually, a lot of players need to prove things and, and the team as a whole, and, and Dan Campbell, especially that early start to the season, if they can, like you said, Jeremy, two and two or three and one, like three and one. I mean, I'd be Rolling. pretty happy with that start. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, appreciate the question, Maxwell. Thank you, guys. No problem. All right. Let's move to our next caller. We have Damien on the line. Welcome to the show, Damien. Still connecting. There we go. Damien, are you there? Yep, you're good. All right. Uh, thank you very much. I have a simple question, which is, will the fan base ever really be at ease with Jared Goff? Like, I'm thinking about yesterday about Lewis Riddick talking about the Lions going to the NFC Championship game. But if he gets to the championship game and lose, will the fans always wonder, well, can he, is he the one to get you over the top? Or will there always be this kind of Dak Prescott-like situation where they always doubt whether he's the guy? <laughs> so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good question, Damien. And it, it's funny because I, I feel like a lot of people think this is just a Lions thing. This is definitely just an NFL thing because, I mean, you mentioned it like Dak Prescott is a great example of like, when are you finally at ease with your franchise quarterback? What does it take? And what does it take for a guy like Jared Goff, who's already, you know, seven, eight years into his career to finally prove to whatever fan base he works for? Because Obviously, I think the Rams fans thought they had it when he made it to the Super Bowl, and then it took, what, two years for all of that goodwill to go out the window. It can be fickle to be an NFL quarterback. So uh, I'll throw it to you, Eric. I guess what's – is there one thing that Jared Goff can do this particular year short of maybe just winning a Super Bowl to convince you that, that he's the franchise guy of the future? The only way that Jared Goff is going to convince this fan base – that he is the guy of the future is if he suddenly becomes eight years younger and mobile, because that's it. <laughs> they're, they're the own. There are like three fan bases who are comfortable with their, with their quarterbacks, right? Mahomes, Allen, maybe Trevor Lawrence, right? That's about it. Like you said, the NFL fan bases are very fickle when it comes to quarterbacks. And so they, are never going to be satisfied. And then when you talk about the fact that the Lions are, you know, a historically burnt franchise, then I think it just adds to the, you know, the layers of waiting to be disappointed, right? So I don't know what he can do. I honestly don't because I think he's just being the being in 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 a I don't know. Can I say middle-aged quarterback at 28? Is that middle-aged for, for NFL? Right. It probably is. Yeah. Um, but like, 
he's he's never going to be fully embraced. I mean, like if he wins the Super Bowl, he's going to have like ninety percent of the fan base on his side, right? Like that. But yeah. he's never going to have everybody. It's just that's just not the way fan bases work, in my opinion. Well, it, it, and with quarterbacks specifically, I feel like the col- the goalposts are just constantly moving because even a guy like Josh Allen, like I'm starting to hear things like. Oh, he can't win the big game. Like he's he's never even made it to the Super Bowl. He sucked down the stretch last year. Um, and and yeah, you're right. Like they're they're just like it's Patrick Mahomes. I would say I'd probably add Joe Burrow to your list. Maybe Justin Herbert, but even there's been yeah, Justin Burrow. Herbert stuff. I knew I was missing someone. Burrow, yeah, a great one. Burrow hurts, but hurts is still like it. It would take one bad year. Like if 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 hurts has a mediocre year this year, like. All of the goodwill immediately races because a hundred percent. The goalposts are constantly moving. So hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think you're on to something. Like if if even if the Lions win a home playoff game this year, I, he's not. Jared Goff is just not going to win over the entire fan base. He, I mean, some of it has. I mean, it, it, we can't just be talking about wins and losses and team accomplishments too. Like if if he leads the team in, in passer rating, if he throws forty touchdowns and five interceptions and throws for 5,000 yards, he's going to win over a lot of people for sure. But then because of the fickleness of the fan base, if they, if he has that kind of year and then loses in the first round of the playoffs, it's all gone, right? No, but even if he, even if he throws for 5,000 and and like 40 touchdowns and five interceptions, how many people are going to be like, well, it's Ben Johnson. Johnson, You know what I mean? Like, honestly, and then, and then if Ben Johnson leaves, they're going to be like, well, Jerry Goff's never going to be anything because now that, now that uh, Ben Johnson's got like, there's always going to be a reason to, to, you know, find flaws in any player. Like you can't, that's just, and the quarterback is one of the most criticized positions in sports period. Ryan, because I know you're, I, I would say, a, a golf skeptic. I'm not going to say hater because that that's not accurate. Is is there something that golf can do personally to you, for you to make him believe, make you believe that he he is him, that he is him, that uh, he has risen? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think for golf, and it, it's just important to keep expectations in check, right? Because I, I know we're talking about like what is it going to take to win over the entire fan base? It's not going to happen. Like I. Like, I lived through the Matthew Stafford era. We all did, right? Like, nothing that Matthew Stafford did was going to win anybody over. Everybody wanted a playoff win, right? Everybody wanted a playoff win. I- exactly what you said, Jeremy. You know, think back to 2011. Lions go 10-6. and six, He wins comeback player of the year. 41 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. Lions get dunked on by the Saints, and that's it. <laughs> you know? So, I-, I think if Jared Goff wins a playoff game, I don't know. I, I, I still I still don't want them to give him a contract extension. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what it's going to take to win me over. Like, because like you guys said, like life in the NFL for, for quarterbacks is so fickle. It's just it's so touch and go. I, I think the Jalen Hurts thing that you guys said was was completely spot on. You know, like he's he's, you know, everybody's darling in Philadelphia. All it takes is for that that ship to start steering sideways and then he's the problem right he's the second round quarterback he's he's not the franchise guy he was propped up by a rushing attack right like it's the same thing yeah. that you can say about if golf has a really good year well you know it's ben johnson right um i don't know I, the, the, there are things that feel so comfortable and, and safe about golf but but the, the the worry i think with golf is like what's the ceiling right 
Yeah. Like, can he, can he push a team over the top where it seems like that maybe was like the inverse of the Matthew Stafford years, right? It's like, dude, if you can just get the rest of the team around him to work, like Stafford has all the intangibles, right. he's got the toughness, he's got, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's something, I, it seems so fickle to say there needs to be a moment where Jared Goff does that. And it's like, I don't, I don't know if I can predict that moment. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it goes back to the thing I, I think I've said about Goff a couple times. Like, it's it's hard to identify Goff's superpower, right? It's easy to, to identify that for a guy like Patrick Mahomes. It was easy for, for to identify that for Matthew Stafford. I don't know exactly what it is with Jared Goff, and it doesn't jump off the film, right? And so that kind of keeps him out of the elite category, even though he was a top five, top ten quarterback in a lot of statistics last year. He's not going to be in a lot of top ten quarterback lists because he doesn't have that that it factor that, that you can just see when you're watching it. Um, Intermediate but, passing. <laughs> right. And that's not, that's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not sexy, right? It's no. not sexy. It's important, obviously. And, and it very football games, but it just, it, it isn't, it isn't that, that superstar factor that, that everyone's like, Oh, you got to see this game. Jared Goff had, he threw a lot of really good five to 10 yard passes, right? Like no one's going to say anything like that. Right now. Now I, I do want to talk about like where he can improve, where you'll, you're, you'll gain a little bit of confidence in because I think there are a lot of people that are like, I, I think Jared Goff's a good quarterback. I don't know if he's a great quarterback. If he does blank, maybe I'll start believing. And I think for me, it starts with the turnovers, right? He went on an amazing nine game stretch at the end of the year, didn't throw an interception. I need to see that that's a, that's a real thing. That's not just a small sample size, right? Because that was one of the big things, even, even in Detroit's all the, the fumbles he had in, in year one, um, some of the reckless passes he threw, like he was, he was, not going to say a turnover machine, but he wasn't as careful with the football as I think um, you need to be at the position, especially if you aren't adding. Like Matthew Stafford was also a little reckless with the football, but he he uh, counteracted that with some amazing you know deep shots and things like that. Goff doesn't necessarily do that. He's capable of it. That's and I think that was the other thing I was going to talk. Like I need to see him hit on more home run balls, and I know that's that's you know that's a it feels like a, an armchair quarterback type of criticism, but when you have big weapons now and and you're you're trying to create more explosive plays you need a quarterback who can do it consistently and i haven't seen that yet out of him well it, it it's kind of a catch 22 because if you are taking shots and, and trying to get more explosive plays the turnovers are going to come with that sure. that is yeah. the nature of yes. the beast right sure. and so to expect bigger shots yet z- low if to no completions, I, it's just not, it doesn't work. Like I, that sounds great in theory, but it just, it, it doesn't. We saw it with Stafford. He takes shots, but he, but he, he gets picked. Like, and you see it with the, with the other big arm quarterbacks. You see with, uh, uh, with Josh Allen, right? Like Josh Allen throws a lot of interceptions because he's willing to take the shot. Right. So I, I, I think consistency is important, but I think, and, and for me, that's, that's the big thing is, if he's if he goes another nine games without throwing an interception, I could care less if he throws a deep shot or not, right? Like I, but that's fair. I, I, I that and so that's for me. Like I, I just I think what we want out of him may be unrealistic. You know what I mean? And I think that that's because I, you know, we look at the Josh Allens and the, and the Mahomes of the world, and we think, and a lot of not just we, but every like as a fan base. You know, we think that's the that's the path. Like, if you get a guy like that, but 
there's only like three or four of these guys in the league. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and so if you can, you, there's teams win without those guys that can do it all. So for, for me, just show me that consistency, show me more consistency. And, uh, you know, that may be enough that, that, that may be enough to, to win me over because he's never going to be Patrick Mahomes. And, and yes, I want him to take more deep shots, but I also want it to be planned and, and played out. I don't want him to all of a sudden turn into a gunslinger because that's just not his game for me. Right. And yeah. And, and to be clear, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't want him to become Matthew Stafford. It's not, it's not, no, but is. there's a lot of people that do, I guess. Right. 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 You know, like, because like Stafford was fun to watch though. I sure. mean, there's no doubt about it. He was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Um, but with every positive trait, there often is a negative that comes with it and you yep. have to be comfortable with that. That's fair. Right. And I, I think you wanted to get back in there before we move on. I think the last thing I wanted to say was that you see Matthew Stafford's run in Los Angeles when they win the Super Bowl, and you think, man, we had that guy, and he had all these traits. Would have been great to just have that guy on this team. And I I think that there might be some projection of, I want Jared Goff to be more like the guy that that could have got us there had he just had this kind of team around him. So, I, you know, there there is something to be said about Jared Goff and, and and his consistency and his accuracy and his just natural ability to throw the football because it it looks good. But again, like you guys are saying, like there isn't some kind of like superhuman trait about him that you can count on week to week to be like, oh, Jared Goff. You know, we can count on one of these plays. I feel like you could do that with Matthew, Matthew Stafford and. I don't know. Maybe maybe Goff's superpower is is like you said, Jeremy. Hey, I can be super careful with the football if if he can continue that stretch that he he left last season on. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right, appreciate the question, Damien. Thank you. All right, let's fit one more in here before we take our break. Break here. Uh, Raymond is on the line. Raymond, how's it going, man? Hello? There you go. Hey, there you are. How's it good, going? Good, good. Um, I just had a quick question uh, here for you guys. So if there's been like a black sheep of the family besides, you know, Jameson Williams for having the audacity to, you know, tweet or, you know, like something, <laughs> you know, it's, it's got to be Nate Sudfield, right? Like, you know, Brad Holmes was kind of on record like, hey, we got to, you know, improve the room behind Jared Goff. And so they, you know, kind of kicked, you know, Nate Sudfeld out of the, you know, room in the off season. But then after, you know, some things fell through, hey, welcome back to the family. But then, you know, through OTAs, I've seen nothing but just, you know, hey, Nate Sudfeld has had like some chemistry, you know, even with Jameson. So are we just all sleeping on Nate Sudfeld or is it still kind of until proven otherwise, hey, you know, Jared Goff gets hurt. Like, yeah, this could be really, really bad. Yeah, no, I uh, appreciate the question, Raymond. Um, I, I feel like this is this is a fascinating topic to me because it feels like the one time that Brad Holmes kind of spoke out of both ends of his mouth a little bit because you're right, like he very much said, we need more competition in that quarterback room. And, and sure, of course, they drained it, drafted Hendon Hooker and maybe that's what he meant. Um, but then at the same time, like right after they signed Nate Sudfeld, he was like, oh, well, Nate Sudfeld is – adding competition to that room. Like we brought him back. Otherwise we wouldn't have had him. That's competition. We actually like Nick Sud- Nate Sudfeld. Um, 
And and I think Ryan and I have talked about this a bunch, and, and I'll bring you in here too, Ryan, and, and think that Holmes being a little either hypocritical. I, I know, I know, Ryan, you are still very much concerned about the backup job and, and want Teddy to, to come here. Um, but yeah, let, let's let's talk about that first. I want to talk about the Brad Holmes thing first because what do you make? Is, is that was that just damage control because he didn't get the guy he wanted in free agency? Well, it, it was just a month ago when he was like, "Yeah, we kind of got caught sliding into home plate." Uh, when it came to the the backup quarterback position, right? Um, with Nate Sudfeld. In terms, of, well, that was he was talking in terms of last year, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, 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 yeah. So it, you know, I, I, I think. Well, I mean, it, it depends, Raymond. If you ask uh, Jeremy Reisman, noted Nate Sudfeld slash backup quarterback, uh, you know, mandatory <laughs> mini camp and training camp, just puff pieces. Yeah, like Jeremy's all about <laughs> Nate Sudfeld. How dare um, you? <laughs> Yeah, you brought the wrong person on first. Um, no, I, I, I think he, here's the thing. Um, I always come back to the uh, the quote from uh, I believe Tom Moore, right? The the famed offensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, um, who who said, you know, what why 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 aren't we seeing more reps with uh, the backup quarterback in there instead of Peyton? He's like, uh, if if we don't have Peyton, we're screwed, and we don't practice screwed. You know what I mean? So I. It, it, Thanks the, for making that PG, by the way. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I, I cleaned it up for us. Um, <laughs> but I, I, that that's true for so many teams around the league, right? It, it is really a luxury to have a guy that you think can kind of steady the ship um, if a quarter, if a starting quarterback is out for for some period of time. That's why I just viewed Teddy Bridgewater as as somebody who, again, the Lions had interest in. Um, they, they had obviously a connection with, with Dan Campbell and his time in New Orleans. Um, but you know, at, at the end of the day, if, if the lions are moving on to a quarterback pass golf this year, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tough sailing. But you know, if there's any team that can maybe do it, it's a team that wants to really run the football like the lions. So if Nate Sudfeld can hand the ball off really well, maybe he can keep things afloat. If Jared Goff <laughs> is out for a, a, you know, a week or two. Man, Nate Sudfeld, key hander offer. That's <laughs> hey, I watch, I, I watch Malik Willis get a win off <laughs> you know, handing handing the football to Derrick Henry. Anything is possible. Wow, a little self deprecation in there. I like it. Um, <laughs> well, okay, I, I want to throw it to you, Eric, um, because I, I think I've been kind of hammering the let's let's at least see Nate Sudfeld throw a pass before we say. The Lions' backup situation is is an absolute disaster, and you and I have now seen him throw a few passes. So, so what have been your impressions through through minicamp and OTAs of him, and and how comfortable you are with the backup situation right now? Um, okay, so I want to get to that, but I want to address a couple things first. One, do you remember when I, I know we make a lot of that Brad Holmes comment, but do you remember when he said it? I don't know if you Wait, recall which one the 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 first one the we the, need competition we need competition at quarterback was that at the NFL Combine Combine right yeah, was, no do you know what happens at the NFL Combine they lie out their butt <laughs> right like honestly like he that comment to me doesn't resonate the way it does with a lot of the fan base um, and for me it's because it was at the Combine like he doesn't want to give anything away at the combine because it's pre-free agency it's pre-draft and it's just lying season for me so like I, for me I, I don't care about that com- I, I know he wants a competition and maybe there's truth to it but maybe it's also him just being like I don't want to give anything away um, as far as Nate though I, I, I think what 
often gets lost when we talk about backup quarterbacks is we just think about backup quarterbacks um, in their capabilities of getting onto the field. And I don't think that's how NFL teams look at backup quarterbacks at, at all, right? Like the first thing, the primary thing that you need in a backup quarterback is you need a quarterback that can disseminate information to the starter. That's the primary role of a backup quarterback, right? He needs to be able to help with game prep. He needs to be able to help Jared Goff understand uh, what to look for. And then during the game, he needs to also be able to translate things that he's seen as well, right? Like, so there's, there are, there is an intelligence layer and a, um, a, compatibility layer of adding a backup quarterback that can support the starter that goes beyond just his capabilities on the field. And when you, we, when we asked Mark Brunel about that, Brunel talked about Sudfeld being the perfect quote unquote, he was perfect in that role last year. He, his ability to help prep Jared Goff was perfect. Like, and, and that's huge. Like he's, when you have a quarterback that can be in the room to support your starter and make your starter better, that's a valuable, valuable asset that people just often dismiss without even like thinking about it. And so it's important to understand that that's a huge part of the, of the backup role itself. Now, if you're talking about what can he do on the field, well, we're still learning that. He's got an NFL arm. We've seen that in camp. Like I think that's, that's quality. I think he can hand the ball off. I mean, it looked like it, it, he looked fine, but they're not wearing pads or anything. So we can't like fully, we haven't seen him taking live bullets. So we don't fully know, you know, if he can handle pressure and stuff like that. But like so far, what we've seen from him is he looks decent. Uh, he looks like he has an NFL level arm, but does he have those intangibles? We'll find out as training camp moves on. As far as is he the future? Well, I don't think he's the future. And I don't think the Lions think he's the future either because. That's why they got uh, Hendon Hooker, right? Or, or they're still got golf for two more years, right? And maybe he's he's going to get a contract extension. So, for Sudfeld, I think it's important to look at him the way that the team does, and that is, can he be a guy who can play in a pinch, and can he be a guy who can support golf? And I think he does both those things, or he can do both those things, and he does the support role uh, at, at a high level. And that's why I think Sudfeld's going to be on the roster the whole year, regardless of what happens to Nate's, uh, with a Hendon Hooker and his health. Yeah, I, I only have two things really to add there. And, and one is just kind of underlining what Nate Sudfeld accomplished last year, which is step in at the beginning of the year, with, with no knowledge of, of the system, no knowledge of, of Jared Goff, never met Jared Goff, you know, doesn't have necessarily a built-in rapport with him and built it throughout the season, right? Built it enough throughout the season where they were comfortable bringing him back. And and I think you nailed it in terms of the duties of the backup quarterback. And you, you beat me to the the Mark Brunel quote about him being perfect in that role. So all of that is, is important. And he proved himself capable of doing that in tough situation and under – a stressful circumstance of, of walking into a locker room, walking into a quarterback room with a veteran quarterback and being able to adjust on the fly like that. And then in terms of what I've seen, like honestly, the, the number one word I would use to describe Nate Sudfeld's performance uh, during OTAs and minicamp is, is poised um, because they work on a lot of situational football. That was something that Dan Campbell said they were going to put an extra emphasis on this, this early 
this off season. And when it comes to those like two minute, dry, two minute drills, one minute drills, you know, third downs, things like that, like nothing looked like the, it, it phased him. And, and Eric brought up a really good point. Like there's no real pass rush. Once the bolts are kind of flying and, and you actually feel guys bearing down your throat like that is entirely different. And, and whether he can remain with that poise, um, is, is, has remained to be seen. We don't, we don't really know, but there's, to me, there's just, I'm, I'm eager to see what he does in the preseason because that's even, even training camp, right? Like you can't get tackled. You can't touch the quarterback. Um, we'll, we'll really get our, our first full picture, I think of, of Nate Sudfeld then. And obviously even then there's a caveat of, well, he's playing, you know, second string guys, he's playing third string guys, whatever. Um, but I, I am not anywhere near, a panic about the Lions backup situation right now, especially because as, as Eric pointed out, like this is just what the Lions are going to have to deal with this year. And it looks like they they've put thought and effort into the backup situation going forward with Hendon Hooker, which might even grow to, to something bigger than that. So everyone loves to worry about the backup quarterback. Uh, I, I think, I think to answer the original question, Raymond, yeah, I think there is a little bit of overreaction of panic and things like that with a guy like Sudfeld, because I think I think they're in a fine spot. They're they're what, 20 even good quarterbacks in the NFL, which means there are technically zero good backups. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think they could be in a much worse situation than they are than they are. And last year and the year before are, are good examples of that. So, um, all right. Thanks for the question, Raymond. I think we're going to take a quick break here. We went a little long there. Surprise, surprise. When we come back, more of your Lions questions here on Twitter Spaces. Join us every Saturday morning. We will be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on Twitter Spaces, answering your questions live. Myself, Eric, and Ryan. Every Saturday morning around 9 or 10 a.m., make sure you just check our Twitter account, at Pride of Detroit. Uh, but let's get back to the lines here. Uh, Dominic has been waiting. Uh, welcome to the show, Dominic. How's it going? There we go. Yes. Hey, guys. Um, kind of a three-parter here, and uh, I'll try and make it quick. So first thing is not really a question, but just more of a statement. I really appreciate all the content. Uh, podcasts, uh, tweeting, articles, all the stuff you guys do for a California Lions fan. It makes it nice to be able to have really good info and content to keep up with the Lions on. Um, Second part is I'm taking my family to the opening game against the Chiefs. I've got a split household. My youngest son and wife are Chiefs fans, and me and my oldest son are Lions fans. Should me and my oldest son expect victory or defeat? And uh, the real question I wanted to ask was, with the improvement of the secondary, Sutton, CJGJ, uh, uh, you know, Mosley, Jerry Jacobs, Kirby, uh, Walker coming back, do we expect to see uh, an increase in, in improvement in secondary um, uh, numbers, you know, interceptions, um, uh, pass breakups, or do you think it'll lead more to a better defensive line play where we give the guys on the line, you know, an extra second or two to uh, maybe get those coverage sacks. Um, and is it possible that our defense is actually better than the offense this year? That's it. Thanks guys. Appreciate it, Dominic. Uh, thanks for both the, the nice words and, and some good questions there. Let, let's start with the last one there. Let's talk about the, the secondary improvements and, and whether we'll see improvements in secondary play or if it'll trickle down to the defense. What, where do you guys see, I guess, the most improvement coming from improving those defensive backs? And I'll start with you, Ryan. Yeah, I, I think I think the most improvement that can that can be had in this secondary is communication. Um, I, I think that's you know why they bring in a guy like Cameron Sutton, right? Um, is is for somebody to be back there to uh, you know keep things organized, keep things um, moving smoothly. Um, I, I think that. You know, when, when when we did our first bite, when we were previewing, um, you know, Sutton and, and his role in Pittsburgh, yeah, the guy's super versatile. He can line up all over the place. Well, if he can do that, he knows a lot of the roles. He knows a lot of the responsibilities. <clears throat> he can re- relay a lot of that, you know, uh, information to the rest of the secondary. So I, I think that personally for me is, is one of the, the biggest things um, in terms of where we'll see improvement this year. We'll see maybe less, you know, defensive breakdowns, um, and and that's all really predicated on communication. So that's the thing that I'm looking most forward to is having a more organized um, and a more cohesive group back there in the secondary. Just just less times when you're watching on TV and the camera pans over to the receiver and there's no defender within 
20 yards. yards of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah that'd yeah. be great. That's a horrible feeling, by the way. And I feel like it was something that we've uh, had to undergo for, for a long time. Uh, what about you, Eric? Where, where do you see maybe the, the most improvement? Is it, is it is it that communication? Is it ball skills? Is it now now we're going to see an upswing in, in sacks? Um, I th- ideally, you're going to see an uptick in all of those things, right? Um, they only had 12 interceptions last year. And of those 12, three of them came from Aiden Hutchinson. <laughs> and one was Anzalone, which means only eight interceptions came out of that secondary. So you would hope that that number would increase. And I do think that the ball skills of the players that they've added should lend itself to that. Um, Kirby obviously is, is a natural ball skill guy. And so is Gardner Johnson. And if you, I mean, Sutton, he, he's, he's not as, you know, known for it. Neither is necessarily Jacobs or Mosley, but like they tend to come in bunches. And, and, and if they, I feel like the lions have that, that, uh, you know, that ability to create turnovers down the middle of the field as opposed to like on the outside. And, and, and when you have like that, those skills in the middle uh, that should translate into more turnovers. And so I do think that that's hopefully going to be on, on the horizon and, and increase in, in turnovers. But I do think that there is also a natural um, correlation to the ability to cover more and then turn that into sacks. Now, last year, I mean, they weren't bad in sacks at all last year. They had 39. Like, that's that's pretty good. Um, now, most of them, of course, came from from uh, the, the two rookies. And I don't know if we can count on he, James Houston having, you know, another eight-sack season. Uh, we, I think the, 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 the door is still kind of open on that. But – I do think the ability to cover should translate into more pressures and, and ideally, again, those pressures turned into sacks. So symbiotically, I think you'd like to see an increase uh, across the board. But if I had to, to, to wager one of them, uh, I would guess the turnovers in the secondary, uh, they see a little bit of a bump. Yeah, that, that's where I was going to go to. And it's not just it's not just turnovers. It's passes defended. Just something as simple as that. The Lions had 62 last year, which was tied for 25th in the league. Um, where interceptions, you said 12, which is like 21st or something like that. So neither neither particularly good. Um, but now now they have ball hawks there. And, and as Dre Bly said, that's not something you can necessarily teach. With Sometimes you're just born with that sort of stuff. And now they have more guys out there that are that are capable of doing that. And so... It's, I mean, that's that alone is can be big. I know we all want the turnovers, but I, interceptions can be finicky sometimes, and it, it depends on a lot. Like, it depends on the quarterback you're facing. It depends on the pressure up front. It depends on you know whether the receiver drops the ball and it lands in your hand, things like that. I, I think you'll see a little bit more just consistent breaking up of the passes, which is, again, something that has seemed very elusive in this town really since uh, the, the franchise jettison Darius Slay out of town. So... That's probably where where the biggest things, but yeah, like you, you hope it, it it impacts everywhere. You hope it's a trickle down thing where the the coverage is stickier, so the 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 pressure is going to get there. I mean, we we already saw a little bit of that in in minicamp. Um, obviously, there's no real pressure coming, but when Jared Goff is saying the coverage is stickier, that's a natural byproduct of of all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think to answer all those questions, to answer that, you're hoping for a little bit of everything. I I think the 
the ball skills, the the defensive playmaking should be a, a little bit higher. But let's let's talk a little bit about the opener too, uh, because why not? Uh, it's the first game uh, of the season. It's the next game, as as the next game is always the most important game. So uh, I'll throw it back to you, Ryan. Like, what are your, what are your hopes for that Chiefs game? Do you do do you think the Lions have like a good legitimate shot to win that game, or is it like you're entering that game in a no lose situation? Because if you lose, it's expected. If you win, we're, we're partying. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're playing with house money necessarily. The way that you're describing it. Um, I think that the Lions have tons of expectations. So I think that they got this opening game with the expectation of them being a team that's supposed to quote unquote arrive. And and there's no better way to arrive than with a, you know, a season opening win in front of, you know, every NFL fans, you know, watching eyes um, on, on that Thursday night. So, it's it's it, it's undoubtedly an important game, and and I and I hope that the Lions can can get it done, just because it, it's going to go a long way towards building a lot of goodwill towards the Lions having a, a a good start, like not even a good start, but a great start. I mean, you, you beat the Chiefs, and all of a sudden, you know that talk that we were, we were having, you know, last segment about the 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 start to the schedule. If you end up two and two, or if you end up three and one, I mean, that's a big hurdle to clear uh, to to being three and one, and, and I think anybody. And anybody who's a Lions fan would be thrilled to, to be in that spot. So getting a win over the defending champs, getting a, a win over Mahomes and, and company, that would that would be huge. And, you know, if you think a lot of people are on the bandwagon right now, like Lewis Riddick and whatnot, I mean, imagine what it's going to be like that that Friday morning uh, if, if we're talking about a, a Lions victory. Eric, you, you're, you're our noted hype machine here. Give me, give me a reason why the Lions have a legitimate shot to win this game. Because well, it's the NFL, right? I mean, and, and, and anybody can beat anybody in the NFL. And the Chiefs this, this are – This is not as inspiring as I – Hold on. Not, <laughs> this is the first sentence. <laughs> um, well, it's, look, it's, in the NFL, anybody can beat anybody, right? And, and, and But like statistically, if this was a game a couple years ago, the odds would have been heavily in the Chiefs' favor, and I think that that's that's not the case anymore. Obviously, the Chiefs are still going to be favored, and and there are a lot of incentives for them. They're going to be at home. It's going to be on a Thursday. They're going to they're coming off the championship. They're going to have they're going to have a lot of like things, a lot of positive things that are happening around them, which is surely going to point the arrow uh, up for them. But at the same time, this is a team in the Lions who are head down, put in the work, be ready to be prepared and ready to go. And who cares what the other team has going for them or what's on their agenda? Uh, we're going to go in and the Lions are going to go in and they're going to do their job and, and, and they can beat anybody when they do that. And so – uh, look, the 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 last game of the year last year, every, the Packers had everything in their favor, and the Lions didn't. And the Lion, the only thing the Lions had was the ability to prepare and want to knock them out, and they did. And they and they smacked the Packers around on national TV in front of in front of the world. And here is another opportunity to go in to a visiting organization on the road when. Everything seems to be in their favor and all the momentum seems to be with this team who's going to be – who has all this to play for. And the Lions are just going to be this 
you know, team that that it's you're playing for pride and the team that you, can and will when you are the team that can and will and pride is in your slogan. Like that's all part of what goes into them being able to do what they want to do. And, and it, I have no doubt that they can go in and win. Now, I don't know if they will, but I know that they are capable and that's crazy to me that to, to say based on like, you know, where we've been in recent years, but the chiefs are, 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 they're one of the best teams in the NFL, but they're also beatable. And, and, and why not the lions? Well, I, I want to ask Jeremy, like, do you think that it's an advantage to have the chiefs week one, or would you rather have had them later on in the season? Um, I honestly, I don't think it matters that much with a team as established as the chiefs, right? Like if you're a team that's up and coming, you probably want them earlier in the season. If they're a bad team. Maybe even, I mean, maybe later in the season, you, you, I hate to even say this, but like maybe an injury plays in your favor. If you're deeper into the season with the chiefs, I mean, I think someone put it out there. They've won like their last nine season openers. Andy Reid is a coach that knows how to get their team up for week one. So I don't think you're going to see a chiefs team that is, you know, just figuring it out or still knocking some rust off. Like this is a professional organization that has lost a total of 10 regular season games in the last three seasons combined. Like you're going to get the chiefs at their best every single week. uh, Assuming that, you know, there isn't an injury that happens that, that, that changes everything. And so I, I don't think it really changes much. And, and listen, like this is, this is a tough mountain to, to climb here, obviously. But I think, the thing that that scares or maybe frustrates me the most is like if the Lions put up a fight and they come up just short, how much are we going to hear the the most annoying words in, in sports talk history, which is moral victories? The and lovable the deba- losers, man. The, the debate about moral victories and like some people will take it as a moral victory and, and that's fine. Some people say I'm sick of having moral victories and that's fine too, because we, we all expect the Lions to take another step this year and, and be competitive and win some of these games with the big boys. But the narratives are going to be out of control in week one. Like no matter, like if the Lions lose this game competitively, the, the narratives are going to be out of control because, oh, this is the Lions. Like, they can't get over the hump. It's one game against the world champions, one of the best. I mean, I, I'm ready to call the Chiefs a dynasty. I, don't, I, I know some people require maybe more rings than they've gotten or whatever. But, like, this is the best franchise of the last five, six, seven, eight years, really. Like, once the, the Patriots dynasty ended, the Chiefs were next. So, they lose this game. It's not a big deal. Um, even if they get blown out, like I'm not, I'm not going to start hitting the panic button of anything. So that's, I think that's the thing that frustrates me about having Kansas city first on the schedule. Now, of course, if the lions win this game, it's like, I'm way, I'm, I am going to overreact in the opposite direction because of everything I just said, because this is such a, a pristine organization that, that knows how to do everything right from week one to week 18. If the Lions are able to do that, and and I'm with you guys, like there there is a legitimate shot. I, I'm probably not going to pick them in the game, but they're good enough to to contend. And and yeah, if if you're good enough to contend, if you're good enough to keep it close, who knows what happens at the end of games? So there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of weird bounces, weird calls, weird whatever that that, that can go in your favor and go out of your favor. And so if the Lions are in the ball game, which I suspect them to be, they can win it. 
You mean like a fumble at the goal line that the play should have been stopped, but then the Chiefs end up with it and they run like a touchdown back? Like, yeah, that's a great example. You you mean if like Josh Reynolds goes up and like catches a ball in the back of the end zone, but he doesn't like complete the catch, and then these are really weird specific examples, guys. But yeah, just just like those two things. All right. (laughs) <laughs> also the chiefs have been in the super bowl three of the past four years i think you yeah. can safely call them a dynasty okay fair okay i i just i some people get weird about that term but anyways uh thank you who, for gate, the, who gate keeps dynasties i don't know shut up it's sports talk for you uh thanks for the question dominic uh let's move to our next caller uh jay-z fighting the duopoly is next which I love the screen name. This is this is maybe the best thing about the transition to Twitter Spaces. We get some awesome names. But Jay Z, uh, thank you for joining the show, man. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, this is the first time I've been able to actually talk to you. Hopefully, can you hear me? Yeah, you're all good to go. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, Spotify did not want to play nicely with my phone. <laughs> so surprise I, surprise yeah so checking in from the rocky mountain lions division here um i didn't think i had a question <laughs> but um i got a, a notification that there's an old 22 film breakdown of james houston waiting for me after the show and it brings up my thought we really do have a deep defensive end line no matter what the national media thinks because we don't have any big names or anything. Who do you think is going to make it? Like how many people do you think are actually going to make the the uh, the 50-man or 53-man roster and who doesn't make the cut? Because uh, I think somebody's going to get scooped up by another team. Yeah, I, I've actually heard a lot of Lions fans already talk o- about this this notion that they're they're going to have to cut some talented players that they're not going to be able to get back on the practice squad, and that's kind of a, a new phenomenon. And I think you're smart to look at the edge position here because we talked about it a little bit, Eric, on the midweek mailbag. But like, Aiden's a lock, John Kaminsky's a lock. I I think Romeo and, and Charles are probably locks as well, and and you'd have to imagine James Houston is is a lock. So you're already at five there. Oh, and, I, and Josh Pascal. So Josh Pascal would make it six. So maybe, maybe, maybe you'd have uh, an, a, a debate about Romeo or Charles. Maybe you can only keep one or two of those. But the way they restructured their contracts, it seems like both those guys are safe. And I don't know. I'm already at six. There is that. Is that where it ends, Eric? I I think Julian can make it seven, but it would be at the expense of another position of depth. Like, and I, and I, and the one that jumps up to me is uh, off the ball linebacker. Right. Uh, last year, they kept three off the ball linebackers to play on defense and three off the ball linebackers to play on special teams. And if you're going to keep, if you're debating between Julian Aquara as edge seven versus Anthony Pittman as off the ball six, you're going to have to see which one, you know, benefits you because Pittman is a much better special teamer. Aquara gives you a little bit more natural talent on the edge. And so which one, you know, uh, where are you, where are you going to invest? Um, I think off the ball, you've got four guys, maybe five that are ready to compete and a couple that can also really play special teams at a high level. Right. So, I don't know if you can go lower than five or if they want to go more lower than five. But like if if you're keeping seven edge guys 
and then five off the ball guys. That's half your defense right there, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then when you start talking about um, the depth of secondary players that you add in, and we've we've talked about maybe keeping as many as 11, well, now you're up to 23 guys, and or, uh, right? Is that right, 23? And so now you're looking at what? You got room for three or four interior guys left on the roster, and then that's it? And, and, and I mean, and then maybe that's your defense. Or maybe you go a little bit heavy on defense. You go to 26 instead of just 25, which is typically the, the – you have 25 offense, 25 defense, three special teamers. So maybe – I don't know. I, to me, I think the most vulnerable spot might be the interior guys. You've got eight of them in camp. You've got some question marks around a couple of their health, like Levi, and a whole bunch of nose tackles, and then Aline McNeil. Uh, it could be a battle of, you know, is Benito Jones worth keeping if he's not a contributor on special teams versus a guy like uh, Melifonwu or, or Sabian Smith, who are every down special teams competitors. And, and that's where it gets really cool when you start building the roster at the end is um, – that's where special teams really comes in and impacts because they're going to be, there's going to be a lot of those like Aquar versus Pittman versus Smith versus like Broderick Jones or Benito Jones that are all going to be like heavily debated. And um, yeah, you're probably going to lose one of those guys or two or three of those guys. And, and, and maybe one makes it to the practice squad and you probably uh, will see another couple playing in uh, on another uniform come September. Right, I, I want to back up to the the first six scheme, six players I named in, in Hutchinson, Kaminsky, Romeo, Quarrel, Charles Harris, James Houston, and Josh Pascal. Are any of those guys, in your opinion, in danger of, of not making the fifty three? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I, I think all those guys seem like they're they're locks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. for, for for some of the guys, it seems like the positional versatility, like Pascal, his ability. Obviously, he's a rookie. You know. Um, uh, on his rookie contract, I mean, um, he, he's still going to be a, a factor. I, here's a name. I, I want to talk about this guy while, while Eric was uh, waxing poetically about his roster construction. Um, I'm all about Charles Harris. I, I, I want to bounce back here from Charles Harris because there was too much good that he showed when he was like the only piece of that Detroit Lions defense in 2021 that really did much of anything <laughs> worth note, right? Um I know. Uh, Zazu agrees with me. Uh, in, in 2021, just to paint a little picture, fourth in run defense stop uh, with with 29, according to PFF. Um, he had his most productive you know, year as, as a professional. Um, he had, uh, uh, it was in, yeah, in 2021, 52 pressures. Um, and, and then something that, you know, again, with that Detroit Lions defense in 2021, he faced like a 23% double team rate, which was like, you know, top three in the NFL. And the guy was still as productive as that. I think he had seven and a half sacks. Like the groin injury was real last year. Um, I don't think that it was just a flash in the pan. He had one successful season being one of the most double teamed players in the NFL in 2021. And then, you know, last year was all for naught. I think he's due for like a big bounce back here. Again, though, it's just going to be like finding the snaps and finding the opportunities. But I, I think as, as you know, Eric kind of pointed out, like along the interior of the defensive line, like I, they're going to, they're going to have to get a little bit creative in terms of what they have in terms of depth. Um, but their depth is clearly at the edges. And 
I, I think you just got to find a way. If Charles Harris is healthy, I, I think he has a, I think he has a path to being a very productive player for this defense. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought all that up because honestly, that I had forgotten that. About it's so Charles long ago, Harris. right? Yeah, and and I remember last year, I'm like, okay, you bring in Aiden Hutchinson, Charles Harris is going to pop this year. Like he's going to be even better this year. I think I predicted him to lead the team in sacks actually last year, and then, you know, he wasn't great at the beginning of the year, even before the groin injury, but you have to imagine the growing injury was, was the main cause of his overall lack of production because the, the other, you noted that Charles Harris was one of the most double teamed guys in, in 2021. One of the most double teamed guys in 2022 was Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, and so, Shocker. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it, it almost feels like, yeah, there, there's such an opportunity on the other side there to, to really take advantage of, of all the attention that Aiden, and Aiden's only going to get more attention right after the year that he had. And so if Charles Harris feels good and and this team believes in him, like I, I, I feel like a lot of fans might be a little skeptical of him. Um, but he's he, first of all, he's going to be on the roster, right? He's a he costs five point one million against the cap right now. It it bounces up to seven if you cut him. So you're not yeah. saving any cap space. You're they they renegotiated, right? They renegotiated right. with both him and Romeo. That's right. And so yeah. both players are actually much more expensive if you cut them than if you keep them. So both those guys are very, very safe and guys that I think they really, really like. Otherwise they would have just cut them instead of trying to keeping them around. Um, and so can I, can I jump in real fast? Yeah, that is true for, uh, all the, all five of the guys, five of the six guys that you were, had talked about. That's true of Hutchinson, Pascal, Romeo, Charles, and John Kaminsky all cost more to cut than to keep the only two that don't that it costs would cost less are the two hybrid guys in uh julian and uh houston hmm. so you're, you're predicting they're going to cut james houston eric why do you hate james no houston? no 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 i'm right <laughs> no, no 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 james, james houston cost has zero guarantees right like that's just yeah. because of the contract that he got when he signed um but Julian has less than 300,000 guaranteed. Like Julian, again, I think right. is the most vulnerable of the seven. Um, but the other five guys, it, they their contracts speak volumes for what the Lions think about them. Yeah. Good point. All right. Uh, thanks for the question, Jay-Z. Appreciate it, bud. Okay. Let's move on to our next caller. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing this right. Uh, Regine, thank you for the Request to come on. You are on the show. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yep. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I got a really quick one for you since I'm playing uh, dad today. Um, <clears throat> so, Jack Campbell, probably my favorite linebacker pick the Lions have had in, since I've been alive. Uh, over under five sacks and over under three interceptions for the season. I know it's way too early. But what do you guys think? Ooh, I like this. You're setting some over-unders, which means I'm definitely throwing to, to Ryan first. And um, Ryan, we just, dare you. we just had a podcast about Jack Campbell uh, to, to plug our own stuff. Uh, a fantastic conversation um, with Hawkeye Report on Twitter. Um, what, do, what do you think about those two numbers? Because sacks is something I actually brought up because we, we've, seen, we've seen the lines be a little aggressive with their linebackers and OTAs and minicamp, and I think – that might be something that they underutilized in Iowa. So that sack number five is, is interesting to me. And then we'll get to the three interceptions as well. Yeah. Interesting numbers. I think I would take the under on both of them. Um, but I, I, I think there's something to be said after we had our discussion, as you mentioned, Jeremy, with um, 
Tom Caker um, yep. from Hawkeye Report. He 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 did allude to the fact that you know there there was a time early in Jack Campbell's career where they were like defensive end maybe like this right. guy like he has the frame he has the he has the athleticism he he could be somebody that we could put on the edge I mean a guy who's six four six five um, as big as he is we we can get him on, on the edge as a pass rusher. I, I think that, you know, you look back to what they did last year, like when, when the Lions decided to blitz, Anzalone was, he was a factor, like, yeah. uh, you know, coming up the middle. So I, I think what they can do with Jack is they can, they can move him around a little bit. And that's what, that's what, uh, you know, Hawkeye report on, on our podcast talked about when they did decide to blitz Jack Campbell, it, you know, they could line him up kind of anywhere. You know, he, he's over here on the left side of the, the defense. He's over here on the right side. Um, so he has some positional versatility uh, in terms of where he can line up when they're when they're scheming up blitzes. But I, I think that I, I think five's a little bit of a high number. Maybe I would set it at like three, and that would that would put my that would put my toes to the fire. Um, but uh, yeah, I, w- what about the interception number? Like three seems a little high, but also this guy has a nose for being in the right spot in coverage. Right, Jeremy. Like yeah. from from our discussion that we had, um, you know, it, it seems like he just has that ability to sniff out where he needs to be, and also kind of, you know, he has that cliche of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. No, I, I think yeah, he's always around the ball, right? That that kind of describes his play at Iowa, and I th- I think he has the athletic tools to be a decent coverage linebacker. I just think that might be one of the things that comes in later in in your development development at the NFL level, right? Coverages get get more complex. Offenses are more complex. You're dealing with a, a lot higher athletes. Whereas pass rushing, yeah, like you're obviously going to have to deal with um, better offensive linemen, um, better coverage schemes, and things like that. But at its very basic level, I think you can make more of an impact as a pass rusher than as a coverage guy at the linebacker position. So if I had to guess, Agreed, which yeah. which one he gets closer to in 2023, it's it's probably the five sacks. I'm with you though. I think he probably doesn't reach either of those numbers. But if I had to pick one, one he's going to get closer to, I would say he, he's got a shot at five sex. It, Eric, do you, do you think that beyond those two numbers, which which are the flashy numbers, right? Like you know, interceptions mm-hmm. and sacks, those are impact plays. Like as a run defender, that yeah, those I, that's where your expectations lie, right? Yeah, certainly. Like just to to look at Campbell's stats, he has three sacks for his career. Like at, at Iowa, like just three for his career. That's it. He won a year each of the last three years. Um, and, and when you look at the Lions defense, the top six sackers were all edge rushers. And then the seventh was Anzalone, who had a sack and a half. So like it, yes, the Lions are going to probably use him as like a blitzer more often than maybe they used Anzalone last year. But like when you look at what their statistical production is, when you look at like what his statistical history is, the odds are he's going to be a little, he's probably going to be like you guys said, closer to that, like three sacks type range. Um, I do think interceptions uh, have a better chance. He has 
two interceptions each of the last two years. Um, I think two could be realistic as well. So I don't know if I'd be willing to go over that. Uh, but I, I and I also think that the usage is going to be focused around around the run game. I I think he's going to be Mike right off the bat, uh, and he is going to, because Anzalone. They've already talked about Anzalone being able to play multiple positions, and, they, and they've they've been dropping those hints for a while now. And so I think Campbell comes in at the mic, and as as the mic, he's going to be focused on the run the majority of the time. And yes, he'll drop into coverage, and yes, he'll get a couple of pass deflections, and maybe maybe one interception is just not, you know in his, maybe he'll get more than one or maybe he'll he'll drop into his own and he's got those capabilities to get his hands on a ball in those situations but yeah I, I think with Campbell you're going to see kind of like this older old old school mentality where he's just you know roaming the center and basically trying to hit anybody who has the ball and it's usually going to be either after it's handed off or after they catch it he's just gonna he he might get 10 he might get 10 tackles a game but the the other statistics like the sacks and the interceptions, I, I don't think they're going to be incredibly high. Chris uh, Spielman is swooning right now. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of how I envision it, to be honest. All right. Uh, just real quick. If I would have asked that question about Aiden Hutchinson last year, how many of you would have picked like on three picks, though? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair point. None. He, did, None he didn't have more than three. Sauce Gardner. <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Aiden had an interception in college, right? No, zero. He'd never yeah. picked the ball <laughs> off. Like, he, he, yes, Aiden never. But OK, I don't think they're going to drop Jack Campbell into a uh, sideline zone when they drop nine. <laughs> My and then, goodness. And then One Justin of the most Fields embarrassing things I've ever just seen. just going to like be like, hey, there's a guy I can throw to. Oh, wait, he's wearing blue. Um, hey, let's end the half. Let's <laughs> Yeah. Did you hey, see how mad Anzalone was when he just went down? Like Anzalone was like, <laughs> you could have got more. Yes. but um, Shout out Justin Fields. You're doing great out there, guy. I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers had a pension for throwing to Lions rookies as, as it was oh, as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> Lather on thick. Um, I, I, before, before we had the break here, I, I do want to touch on something you just said, though, Eric, because I think, I think it's, it's, a, it's a debatable opinion, but one that I think needs to be reiterated. And it's you saying that he's going to be the day one starting Mike, talking about Jack Campbell. Um, and... Again, like there was those, those quotes from Kelvin Shepard saying like he might not start, you know, week one. And I think people may have gravitated onto that quote. Sure. Um, but I, I, I think I th- I'm not entirely there with you yet. I think it's certainly possible. And, and I think that's what the lines are hoping, because obviously during OTAs and it, it's something I don't think we can overlook is that they weren't repping him at will. They were repping him at second team Mike and. Some might look at that and say, like, oh, well, yeah, he's just going to back up Anzalone in year one or whatever. The other way to read that is, like, okay, we don't want to give him first-team reps. We want him to earn them, but we know he's going to be this team's future, Mike, so that's where we want to rep him. And that is important, right? That that makes a lot of sense to me. And so, 100%. The, my question is whether he's going to have that job day one or if he's eventually going to earn it in the middle of the season. And I think that's where the debate comes in. And then the debate from there would be, do you still put him out there at the will occasionally? Do, is he your starting will until no. he's your starting Mike, or is he no. your starting, you know, sub package guy until he's your starting Mike? In, in my opinion, you you have four linebackers, uh, and I think Jack is a Mike only 
And I mm. think Rodriguez is a will only, and then Anzalone and Barnes can play both. Um, just because I think their skill sets tend to lend it to them a little bit more, right? Um, there's no reason, in my opinion, to to land uh, or to try and move Jack anywhere else other than where he's going to be. You don't spend uh, a top 20 pick on a linebacker if he's not going to anchor the middle of your defense uh, for the next six years, you know what I mean? And, or five years at least. Right. So for me, I think he's just going to look, he's going to go in and, and that, and they're going to rep him at the mic and, and, and he's either going to live or die there. And Anzalone, they've already prepped us. They've already dropped those hints that, Oh, Anzalone can play. Great thing about Anzalone is he can play both. Yeah. Well, that's cause he's going to play one. He, he well, might play both. Right. But- Oh, I mean, oh, okay. I was just saying, Kelvin Shepard always says, though, like he, yes. they're cross-training everybody. Good. Like, everyone needs to learn every That's position. I, I understand. But learning you're, you're a position a and being – No, no. I'm saying <laughs> – look, they tried James Houston off the ball last year too. How'd that work out, right? It didn't, right? They're going to try everyone everywhere. That's the way it's going to be. Can Jack play Will in a pinch? Sure. But who – is he going to play Will over – who's – like – you're not going to put Anzalone at the mic to play Campbell at the will. Like it just, it's not a proper use of talent that way. Like if you, if those are your two linebackers, then you're going to put, you're going to put Jack in the middle. You can still keep Anzalone with the green dot. You can still put him at the will. You can, you, he can still give you all the things that they love about Anzalone that, uh, but like his best spot is, is, is the mic. And if he's one of the top two linebackers, which I am expecting him to be, I think that's where he, where he's going to be now. Will can Rodriguez, you know, become one of the top two? If he if he is, then he's going to be at the will, and then you're going to shift Anzalone to the mic, and then Campbell's going to have to work his way off the bench. I don't. I know ever, Derek Barnes is is the taste of the town in in, in Allen Park right now, and he was taking all the reps in the spring, but he has to show me that consistency. Like I need to see more of it. Again, it's linebackers. One of those things that you have to see when the pads are on. We all know Derek Barnes is athletic, right? But like, so is Rodriguez. So, so is Jack Campbell. Like they're all athletic. Like that's why they were targeted to play in this scheme. But so we'll learn more as it goes, but my projection just based on what I know about the players and what I've seen is it, I think Jack is headed towards that mic role. All right. That's a fair answer. Uh, appreciate the, the question regime. Uh, uh, good conversation there. Um, all right, let's uh, let's take a break. When we come back, our final segment here, uh, we got more callers here on uh, whatever this is called, Twitter Spaces, and uh, we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, closing things up here on Twitter Spaces as we take your live calls here. 
let's go right back to uh, the phone lines here. Uh, Jacob is on the line. Jacob, welcome to the show. Are you there? Here. How y'all doing? There it is. Good. How are you? Not too bad. Y'all were talking backup quarterback earlier. Wanted to make sure that Tim 20 man, former high school quarterback, got a mention. We saw some <laughs> of those dimes he was dropping in that video. Um, yeah, they, they didn't want to show mine for some reason. No, the they showed mine. That's yeah. They, they showed a good one the of mine. Oh, man. Yeah. Here we are. Media combine. Um, so my question is a little bit in the weeds, but it is the off season. So that seems fair enough. Um, I think one of the things that stood out from y'all's OTA reports was the fact that Ross Pierce was taking first team center reps, you know, with, with Ragnow out. And so I'm just wondering, given Ragnow's injury history and injury present, um, do you think Pierce actually has a shot? And, and if so, Kind of like y'all were talking about with the edge, does the interior O-line get a little bit crowded with Sorsdahl, with Graham? Um, and, and what does that mean maybe for the, the tackle position? Does that mean just one backup offensive tackle? So if y'all could get into that, that'd be great. Yeah, no, good question, Jacob. And I think I was, I was actually just thinking about this the other day because I think um, Colton over at The Athletic put Pierschbacher in his 53-man roster prediction and – I was thinking about whether whether that could happen or not, and and yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly notable that he was playing first team center. Of course, the reason why Graham wasn't, and he was occasionally, not very often, but occasionally Graham was in that position. But they needed someone to fill in for for right guard because they're they're still limited limiting Halapuli Vati Vaitai uh, in, in terms of his snap count during OTAs. Um, but yeah, I mean. If you if you think about this team and and if Ragnow has issues with injuries and maybe you know Vitai does it at guard, well Graham can't fill both spots. So would they be better served to keep two guys capable of playing center on their fifty three? And I, I I find a hard time answering that. No, I, I think maybe maybe I should consider Pierschbacher as a guy that's likely to make this roster simply because like I I mean they're they're still trying Logan Stenberg at it, Eric, and I still don't think that's that necessarily is going to work out i have an easy time saying no because um, of of how i view the offensive line because look when it comes down to who's going to make the roster it's going to be eight or nine guys right it's probably going to be nine it's i would be surprised if it's 10 just because of how you have to construct the rest of the roster and in my opinion graham is not playing center because exactly what you said he's playing right guard because vitae is not Right. If Vitae was there and he was taking every snap, it would be Graham at center because I think Graham is ahead of Pierschbacher. But what the what coaches do is they want to get their best talent on the field to be evaluated um, at the spots that they might be used. And so with Vitae having more questions than Ragnow. They, they want to rep Graham at that spot so that they're getting a good look at what Graham can do behind Vitae. Well, who's next in line at, at center? Well, that's then that's Pierschbacher, so then he gets elevated up after that. Now, they don't really have another center. They have Brad Cecil, but Cecil uh, was injured. He's also a UDFA rookie, and so he's going to be further down on the depth chart. It's the same thing with Sorsdahl. He's a rookie, so he's going to start on the third or fourth string. That's just what happens in the NFL. They start their rookies low, right? So 
as Sorsdale gains more experience, if he is as good as we think, and maybe Vitae starts getting more consistent reps, then I think you're going to see Graham shift back to center and you're going to see Pierce Bacher shift back to the third string center and then you're going to see Stenberg shift back to guard as well. Right now, it's just a matter of Pierce Bacher's better than Stenberg, so he's repping ahead of him. And 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 so I, based on the guys that they have, Pierce Bacher is probably one of their top guys, but for me, he's at best interior offensive line six, maybe seven. And so for me... I don't know if they're going to keep six interior offensive linemen. Um, and, and that's a hard road for him, right? Because you have yeah. Jonah, Frank, Vitae, Glasgow, Sorsdahl. Those five guys are going to make it. Or, or, I mean, maybe Pierce Bach would be thought Sorsdahl. But it, from what we can tell and what we know, it sure looks like he's headed for the roster as well. So I, I think Pierce Bacher is their best option at center, and that's why he's getting those reps. But is he going to be better than Sorsdahl by the end of camp? I don't know. If he is, then he makes the team. And if he's not better than Sorsdahl, then he'll be back to uh, being the best practice squad center that they have. Right. And I think I think the practice squad obviously takes a big part in this, right? Because, yeah. like I said, if, if they get into an unfortunate scenario in which Ragnow and Vitae aren't ready to play, like I said, Graham can't play both positions. But if you have Pierce Bacher on your your practice squad, or if you're you're comfortable in – in, in Sorsdale at that point, well, then you move Graham to center, Sorsdale to, to right guard, or you bring in Pierce Bacher to, to play center, and you, you play Graham at right guard, right? Um, or you move Jonah. I mean, Jonah can sure. play center too, right? Like uh, that, The thing is, is when you're <clears> – he's just a little further further down for me. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. No, no, that's fine. And and I think – we'll, so, Ryan, I'll, I'll throw it to you here, and I'll just – I'll list – because we said it's probably eight or nine for offensive line, right? So you got your five starters, Sewell, Vitae, Ragnow, Jackson, Decker – Graham is probably a, a lock. Let's just say Sorostol is a lock because he's a draft pick. Um, you have an offensive tackle, so pick whatever offensive tackle you want, whether it's Matt Nelson, Obinaze, Jermaine Fetty, whatever. And then you hit, so you're already at eight there. And like like uh, Eric said, there's we're already at what six offensive interior offensive linemen, and no, we're at five interior offensive linemen, three tackles. Yeah, who's the who's the next guy in? Is if there is an X guy in, do you, do you go with a fourth offensive tackle? Do you go with a, another versatile piece, whether it's Pierce Bacher, Stenberg, Aosika, or do you go with eight? Well, so here here's the question I have for you guys because you guys have you know eyes on it, obviously being at at camp and everything. What do you make of like Sorsdahl's ability to maybe be a swing tackle, maybe be that six offensive lineman if they want to go that way? I think they are going to rep him at guard, just just guard right now. Like I don't oh, think they're okay. going to want to get him tackle reps until he gets comfortable. Because remember, he played right tackle, and he's right. having to learn guard. So I think they're going to give him every guard rep that he can get, and because that's where the plan. It's like Campbell, right? Campbell's spot's going to be the mic. Sorsdale's spot's going to be right guard. So they're going to rep him at at right guard until the wheels fall off. Um, can he play right tackle in, the, in a pinch? That's to be seen, but I don't think that's in their plans. Gotcha. Okay. I, I mean, I guess I just viewed that as they could keep Sorsdahl and and that can go into their their roster calculus because, yeah, I mean, obviously this guy projects they want him to play guard, um, but like you said, in a pinch, maybe hey, we we at least have some 
we have some faith that this guy could kick out and, and he could do something for us if he's going to be that third offensive tackle on game day um, or, or something like that. So I, I, I think it, it, at least it's interesting to, to consider the, the interior of the offensive line with Graham and his ability to play guard and center, right? Like the, the more versatility you have, I'm just wondering if there's, if there's a guy along the interior like Sorsdahl, who could play tackle, well, then that goes into the roster calculus of, okay, then we don't need to keep as many tackles. Can I, I'll tell you where the backups are repping if, if you, if you want, like, so uh, Matt Nelson and Obi Azay, they're playing tackle and guard. So they're getting reps at both, right? A is only playing right tackle. Yeah. Cause that's just um, what he does. He was right. a former first round pick. So like he right. plays tackle. That's what he does. Right. Uh, he does have some guard experience, but they haven't, they didn't test him at guard from what I saw. Um, the only, so you have Nelson and Azay who are getting both crossbred at, at tackle and guard. And then the only other one that has experience is uh, Darren Paulo, who could, who played tackle and guard. Will, like, maybe Sorsdahl is that guy by the end of training camp, Ryan, but uh, um, right now uh, we're not seeing it, but they are cross training a lot of their reserves. Yeah, but but like you said, I mean that that jump that you have to make from playing. I mean that's what he played um, in college uh, was strictly tackle. So like the you know he's he's got a learning curve to to move inside. Yeah. So it would make sense that he would be getting a lot of reps there. But I don't know if I answered your question, Jeremy. I'm just so I, I'm I'm so interested in what they how they view Sorsdal. Like, do they view him as this versatile piece who can be moved inside and outside or? Is is that factoring into their overall? Hey, we're keeping this many guys. Yeah, I, I think I think that that's certainly on the table long term. But but like Eric was saying, like at this point, you don't want to overwhelm a guy who's learning a new position, who's going from a low level of competition to a high level of competition. So for now, the the plan is certainly just be a guard. And then like maybe in an absolute pinch, they would do something like that. But um, I think that I think that's a pretty good overview of the the entire uh, interior and exterior offensive line as we get kind of further on the depth chart. There, let me let me just literally. Uh, uh, Hank Fraley was asked, "Can Sorsdo play outside in a pinch?" And and his quote was, uh, "I told him not even to think about going outside there yet. Uh, if we need him to, we'll see." Right now, I want him to get settled at guard, try and get his feet wet, learn the position. Because when you're a guy that's been playing tackle and you go there, there's there's a big there's a difference between out playing tackle and guard. There you go, ready with the quote. Appreciate it and appreciate the question, Jacob. Thanks, Colin. All right, let's go to Twitter here for our next question. It comes from Brennan at BPM. Asks, thoughts on how much we will see the starters in the preseason games, especially considering we have two joint practices this year. Um, I think we've had some behind the the podcast conversations about this, Eric. Um, so I, I guess I'll throw it to you first. What, what are your thoughts? Are we are we not going to see like the starters at all because Correct. of these two joint practices? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Um, yeah, the joint practices are more valuable to the coaches, and they feel like their starters get more reps in those joint – more like actual live reps in those joint practices than they do in the actual game itself. And with the first two being joint practices, I think you're going to see a lot of the starters just get their reps there and not in the in the games. And then when you get to that third game, it's going to be mostly the reserves as well because you're trying to get them uh, – you're trying to hash out the bottom of your roster. And so 
it would not surprise me at all to see the starters uh, not see the starters on uh, on the preseason games. Do you, I'll throw it to, I'll throw it to Ryan here. Do, do you have a problem with that? Because I mean, I, obviously you can get more information from from joint practices, but you still like there's still that extra level of physicality. Um, is there is there maybe a concern that you're not getting your body physically ready by not literally taking a full live rep? I get the question. However, I'm just brought back to hard knocks, right? And 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 Dan talking about why they're why they're going live in practice during training camp and yeah. and getting their bodies ready for for the physicality of the season. So I I don't have any worries about hey on this one day where they're p- playing a preseason game like is that I I think it's more beneficial and more useful to get guys in like Colby Sorsdal, <laughs> you know, playing playing sure. guard and, and getting a lot of a, a lot of reps and and things like that in a game situation. So I, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the joint practices. I think that they can, they can get more accomplished with that as, as you know, Eric, Eric was saying, and um, in, in terms of getting their starters out there and getting them more useful reps than, than going out there on, on game day and doing like one drive. Yeah, to right. elaborate on that, they, they can design situations. Exactly. You can play situational stuff. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you may play a game and never fall into the situation that you want to practice, but in practice you can do it and you can rep it multiple times and you can get, so it, so that's why when we say like coaches like to join practice better, it's because they control everything that happens. Right. Yeah. And they, they control the offensive and the defensive call, right? Like they can collaborate with the other coach and be like, all right, I want to see how my team responds on a screen pass when, when we're blitzing or something, you know? Um, and, and that sort of stuff happens. So you set up all that sort of stuff. Um, the, the kind of bigger question I'm, I'm having here is like, is the NFL going to eventually like step in? Because this definitely seems like a trend that more, more and more teams are doing like joint practices are more and more in vogue. I think most teams, if not all teams are doing them now, some of them two times. I don't know if anyone's doing it three times, but this this is go- like this what we're talking about. Less starters playing in the preseason game is going to start being more and more the norm as well. Which means crappy preseason <laughs> football on your TV, which probably means less people watching and less people attending preseason games. And I can't yeah. imagine the NFL is going to love that. Haven't we already seen the NFL step in though? That's that's why they reduced it to three and added in a regular season game. Right. Yeah. Like, I think this was the NFL's version of, of stepping in is because they wanted to get an extra game and because they make so much more money on that extra game than they probably do on all the preseason games combined. Right. Honestly. And so yeah. I think that I think we've already seen the NFL step in. I think the preseason is now what it is. And right. that is just another tool for coaches. But, you know, they're going to show. Every NF, every preseason game on NFL Network at some point, and 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 for the the hardcore fans that want to see, you know, all how these you know backups are doing, and how a thousand guys that aren't going to be in the league, you know, uh, in a month <laughs> play, then they're 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 gonna they're, they're gonna watch it. But I think for the the we've already seen the NFL, you know, make the move that that they're going to make. I don't think they can reduce it anymore. Yeah, I mean, it isn't only a matter of time before we're getting to 18 games, right? Like that 17-odd game. I don't think they like that either, but um, mm-hmm. no. no. Um, all right, let's go back to the phone lines here. Uh, let's bring on our good friend Dan Pask. Dan, we we almost went through the entire show without you, but we would never. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, man. Can you hear me okay? 
Yeah, you're yeah, sorry. Good. I was playing D and D late last night, and uh, oh, sorry, other story. I mean, I will stay focused. <laughs> it was interesting. I came, I sort of sw- uh, joined at your uh, Kansas City Free Money uh, question or talk at that point, middle of the second, and um, so it, it's a it was a DraftKings podcast last week. I, I'm getting the names stuck in my head, but I was afraid to go off Twitter in case I lost my connection. Greg Kassar or Greg Cosell. And it was a talk about the NFC North and. He was going yeah. to take like a, a big sit down and like watch eight games in a row. And my my question um, is really like with Ben and his tells because I remember we were sort of having a conversation sort of probably same time last year where we'd had half a year. We didn't know how much was his work, how much was was Dan's work, and then obviously we've had a full year here now. And I'm going to go for a ramble. You knew it was coming, so let me just do it. But like, I just remember sort of not growing up, but maybe in my learning phase, like hearing about New England and the way that they would literally have one play and they could run six or seven spawns, six or seven plays from that one single look. And 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 I know it's a, it's dangerous to give a man information, but I'm reading the Take Your Eye Off the Ball 2.0, and and it, and it was talking about that some more. And we talk about multiples, like and the idea of like all our defensive backs and all that kind of stuff. But I'm. I guess my question is this, like, do, do, um, what do you think Ben's tells are? How does he get his uh, receivers open? Like, um, what, I, I mean, I don't, whatever you say, obviously I'm not trying to give it to the enemy, but like, you know, they're, they're trying to do it too. And they hadn't seemed to have figured it out by the end of the season. And so, uh, yeah, I'll stop. Go ahead. Cheers. Thanks. Yeah, no problem, Dan. Uh, obviously a, a kind of highly technical question. I'm not sure how much, uh, we, we can divulge into the film and, and uh, figure all that out because if, if we could, I think maybe we'd have defensive coordinator jobs. But but I guess what are to, – to reframe the question, but what, what are like the tenets of a Ben Johnson offense that allows it to be so successful? I, I think the big thing with Ben is that he does run multiple plays out of the same sets. Yeah. And that's that is because of a variety of reasons. One, it can disguise his intentions. Two, um, they don't have like a true dominating wide receiver one, right? They have a bunch of guys that can that can, you know, try and charge the field with speed. They have a couple of guys that can that can go over the middle, and then you have uh, you know, you got a tight end that can go over the middle, you got a, a slot receiver that can go over the middle. And and so Ben's concepts are are rooted in the fact that I can show you one look and run uh, like a, a a run play out of it. Uh, I can do a run play that that does a sweep right. I can do a run play that counters back left. I can do uh, I can I can audible into a play action that can then also run like a layer like that can run like a layer concept. Um, so he can take this one design and show you that look and run three or four different plays out of this one set. And, and he does, and sometimes he will do that purposefully in order to set the defense up for a bigger play down the stretch. Right. Um, the famous one is like the, the, you know, Penesul, right. Right. Against Minnesota. Right. You put him in motion, he blocks, you put him in motion, he blocks, you put him in motion, he fake blocks and goes out for the pass. Right. And so, but he does this all the time. He does this every single game and then he does it from game to game as well. So at its core, Ben is trying to keep a, a Jared in a rhythm and he's trying to then give Jared multiple options out of, out of consistent looks so that he doesn't have the defense 
being able to correctly predict what the plan is. And, and so it's hard to predict what Ben will do when he does situations like that. The only thing that you can do to try and figure out like what, what Ben's intentions are is to look at things like situations in third and two, what does he typically do? Right. Like there was a stat, um, like the first series of the first half and second half, they always, they run like 80% of the time or something ridiculous like that. Right. So those are the things that you have to look at is what does he do? Because when you put him on the field in his actual scheme, he can do really anything he wants. The the one thing I wanted to add, and then I'll, I'll throw it to Ryan here is while, while, he also, while he can run a lot of different plays out of the same formation, he also does the opposite, which is run the same play out of different formations. And, and, oh, and, and it speaks to the versatility again of, of the players where like you can go three wide, but also run the same kind of play two wide with a, with a tight end out, you know? And, and so like, it, it just adds to the unpredictability and, and it's not like he invented a lot of these things. Like this, I think this is what a lot of, teams aspire to do but it works for him because i think he perfectly utilizes the talent right it's 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 fitting the talent to to fit your scheme and so having the ability to both run different plays out of the same formation and run different uh formations out of the same play just makes things i have to imagine an an absolute headache for for opposite defensive coordinators but uh but ryan what what did you want to say about ben johnson play action yeah like play action is the bread and butter, right? Like I, you, you look at 2021 and, and I, I would love to like dig deeper into the numbers um, in terms of, you know, as Dan mentioned, you know, how, how much can we parse through and see in, in that 2021 season, how much was Dan, how much was Ben, you know, after, after things got taken away from, oh man, I'm blanking, former Chargers coach. Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn. There we go. Okay. Um, sorry. Thank you. Uh, but in, in 2021, Lions were 26 in the NFL, according to Pro Football Reference, um, in, in terms of play action passes with 108. Uh, in 2022, they were fifth in the NFL with 158. Um, so, like, I mean, it, it, it seems like a, a you know not not a huge jump, but like look at where that that took them from 26 in the league to fifth in the league last year. So, um, again, but that comes back to what you and Eric were, were both talking about, you know, having having multiple plays out of the same set. It, it, Imagine what the Lions can do with split backs. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Sorry to, sorry to squeeze it that, just that little bit further. But, you know, with, um, with Jared Goff, right, and, and, and I th- thank you for those numbers, Ryan, wasn't it a case where, you know, Ben sort of, you know, you know they worked together. They tailored the offense to work with him. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so I, mentioned, I, I do remember New England, and obviously New England was the one time we fell last – well, two, sorry, you know, we fell badly last, last year. But, like, so with that, that aspect of, of sort of – like, because he was a play action uh, passer in Cal as well, right? And and, and in, at the Rams, so like it made sense. I guess is there a? Do you think Ben would be good with a different? I, I, what I'm trying to say is like like it, Anthony Lynn didn't have another playbook, isn't it? That's why he couldn't. Re- I mean, it, his playbook didn't work for Jared Goff in hindsight. When you think about it, or you hear about it, and everything else, read about it. But like, um, is it? Is he? Is Ben erratic in some ways? Or oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I mean, it's it's hard to know, right, about why things didn't necessarily click with Anthony Lynn and um, and Jared Goff. Like, it's, 
you know, Anthony Lynn has predominantly run like very run heavy offenses. And so you would imagine that play action would be kind of a, a staple of what he wants to do yet. It just didn't, it didn't work out. And, and whether it was personnel, you know, he certainly wasn't helped by the wide receiving core that, that he was there, whether it was just, he didn't mesh. I mean, there's just some people don't met, don't have like the same working relationship as other people. Right. Um, but when it comes to Ben Johnson, like I, I, it's a fair question to ask if he would be as effective in a different offense with a different quarterback. And I, I, I don't think I can answer that question, right? Like we don't have a, a sample size at all to pull from there. But the one thing that, that I think he's done a really good job is, is that collaboration effort, right. That, that you just mentioned um, yeah. getting to getting together with Jared Goff and asking him what he does better. And, and Jared Goff like has said it multiple times, how much that meant to him, not just in terms of like respect, like to have that respect of your offensive coordinator to say, Hey, what do you want to do here? Um, but also like, it, it's going to make you a better player. If, if he, you know, you're, you're tailoring the offense to that guy. And so you, you have to imagine he'd be able to – Ben Johnson would be able to do that with other quarterbacks just because he's willing, right? Just that willingness, just having the will and, and wherewithal to say, you're not going to fit in my offense. I am going to adapt to what you want to do and then build an offense around that. And so um, it, it okay. seems like a very novel concept, and we hear a lot of coaches say that they're going to do that, but Ben has obviously clearly gone out of his way to actually do it and succeed in it. I, I, yeah, I'm just so. I, I, I think I was struggling to find the question, and it was like this: this first bit we saw these OTAs, the overreaction OTAs, the OSHA Sanford overreaction, right? I mean, Cam Sutton calling the offenses plays. That's that's because it's vanilla and stuff like that. But also, it's because Cam Sutton's super smart as well, which is and he's going to get it with the other teams. But I'm just. It feels like that 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 level of intelligence and obviously speed. Uh, I mean, that was something that Dan obviously wanted. But that level of intelligence in our team has just has just shot up, hasn't it? Anyway, I, I, I'm going to jump off now. Otherwise, I'll never jump. Thanks so much. <laughs> it has now. Look, Dan. In OTAs, they run the base concepts, right? They're they're not adding in any trickeration. They're not layering in. Uh, different things. They're running. They are basically installing their their base design, right? The 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 added parts of the playbook come later. Like the the here's our formation. Now we can run. Let's look at the different plays we can run out of this formation. That comes later. Right now in the spring, it's all base, right? And so it's easier for a veteran defensive back to be able to identify what's happening because. It is just your base concept. It's like 30 plays, right? So if you're it's it's not overly complicated. You're absolutely right. Ben Johnson's scheme is heavily West Coast based, and that's where you see a lot of play action come out of it. Um but I, that's because that's where Jared Goff comes from. Jared Goff played in a West Coast based scheme in LA. Jared Goff, he played in a West Coast scheme. Uh, at, at UCLA or at Cal, um, all everything that Jared Goff has done since he went to college was West Coast, and so that's why Ben's scheme is West Coast based because he's designed it for Jared Goff. Now you ask, could he do more with like a different quarterback? A hundred percent, and that's because of his experience. He doesn't just have West Coast experience; he has he has experience in multiple different. Uh, uh, different schemes because of the different coaching staffs and the different head coaches that he's worked under. So Johnson has, he's learned from like, I think it's like six different coaches. I forget exactly what the number is and I, I couldn't find the list fast enough, but like 
he's been in the league for 10 years and he's had d- multiple uh, schemes that he's had to coach under. And that's what makes him versatile. The reason the Lions run the scheme that they run now is almost entirely because of where Jeff Jared Goff's roots are and and the fact that Ben wanted to design what they did to fit what Goff does best and then he has feathered in all the intricacies based on the personnel not having a true X and 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 having your primary receiver come out of the slot well now that's when you you start putting in the wrinkles to feature the guys that you have so at its core West Coast concepts, base scheme right now, it's going to be easy to identify. The, the, the trick is July and August, when the wrinkles start getting put in, that's when this uh, offense should really open up more. All right. I think we're going to call it there. Uh, we'll stick around for our live audience to answer a few more questions. But for our podcast guests, listeners, whatever you want to call yourselves, thank you all for listening. For Eric – for Ryan, uh, join us next time, Saturday mornings on Twitter Spaces. Uh, but until then, thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.